Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, I'm with Mark again. How's it going, Mark? It's going good, again. <laughs> again. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about SEO predictions for 2018, so what we feel is going to happen next year. But we're also going to go back to the episode where we talked about what we thought would happen this year and see how right or wrong we were. And I think that's the first year we can actually do it because uh, last year was the first time we did that podcast. And um, also, so, I think more wrong than right, as it turned out. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. Although I think we got one or two hits. So, what did we like? Pick the first one. What did we say last year? So the first thing we said last year was that there was a whole concept of like mobile first. So like the mobile index and the desktop index were going to completely diverge. And, you know, since so many people are using mobile to access the internet these days, sites would have to kind of develop with a mobile first mentality. And that would sort of become a big deal. And if you neglected, you know, responsiveness and user experience for mobile users, you would suffer. And I think like the idea behind that, it was and still is kind of right. And that's definitely we're continuing to sort of head in that direction. I just think that the reality of the situation was very few or far fewer website owners actually had the skills or capabilities or resources or whatever to sort of implement that. So if Google or other search engines had been really strict and, you know, anything, any non-responsive sites would just get dumped, then it would have really affected like a huge number of sites and the quality of their results would have suffered more than they were sort of willing to from that. So I think there was an article in one of the SEO uh, search engine land, I think it was, that basically said that, you know, it's coming, but 2018, the earliest, and it's going to take three to five years before they truly have a dedicated, complete mobile first index. So, I mean, the takeaway there is, we were kind of right, just wrong about the time frame, I guess. Yeah, from the point of view of Google, but from the point of view of traffic, I mean, I'm looking at the analytics on health ambition right now. And if you add up mobile and tablet, there's over 75% of the traffic that's mobile. That It's like 27% is desktop, so the rest is, is mobile, essentially, which is, so it's a little bit less than 75, which is, you know, if you're not optimized for that, like you're probably missing out on a lot of like conversions, etc. So for despite sure. the fact that Google is not necessarily penalizing for that, well, they are splitting the index. Like there is, mobile is going to be their main index. They said that as well. They said that the desktop index is going to be their secondary index, the same way mobile has been so far, you know? Yep. And they're swapping place. But I guess on the desktop index, it doesn't matter. On the mobile index, as it becomes the primary index, it will probably develop its own factors. Just hasn't happened yet. So I guess we were a little bit too far ahead, but it's still happening. And the mobile first index is actually supposed to roll out yeah, next year now, like they've said it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we were not right for the year, but probably right on the principle. Let's just say that. <laughs> the next one we said that would happen is that there will be, like, keyword research would not really be a thing anymore, that it would be more about topic research. And essentially, we said, well, when two keywords are close enough together, People are going to stop you know, making multiple pages. So I think the example we took was like blue bicycle versus blue bicycles, et cetera. Like mm -hmm. this kind of stuff, like people will stop doing that kind of stuff and just like roll stuff in one page about blue bicycles in general. And keywords would be kind of, it's a market research tool, but it's not what you're optimizing for. You're more optimizing to cover the topic as broadly as possible when you pick a topic, essentially. Mm -hmm. So what happened? I mean, it's kind of true, really, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. It's like keywords are still there. People still use keyword research to find their, to find their topics. Essentially, you use keyword research to find your topics. But then, like, Ahrefs released a blog post where they were like, 30% of the pages that rank number one for a given keyword 
rank for more than a thousand search volume will rank for another three related keywords over a thousand search volume. And also the number one ranking in the top 10 on average ranks for around a thousand other relevant keywords as well. So, you know, it's, it's really not about this, that single keyword you're optimizing for. Therefore, yeah. yeah sorry. I mean, when we're doing this, for example, on health ambition, you know, of course we're paying attention. Of course we care to like how the page is doing for the specific keyword we're targeting. But really, the majority of our traffic is not coming from the keywords we're targeting. It's all the the roundabout keywords, the long tail keywords associated with that. Even if you're not on page one for the first keyword, you still get thousands of visits a month from from other uh, longer tail keywords. So we actually have a lot of pages that don't rank for their target keywords, but still get a lot of traffic, and yep. it's fine. It happens all the time. So yeah, long tail traffic is where the money is, and it's all about finding that making a big page is interesting. So that kind of happened, although, you know, it really depends on, on people's practices. Like I, it's not like the whole thing shifts right away, but you know, Ahrefs talks about it and like more and more like tools and big, big people talk about just doing it that way. And yeah, it's kind of the way. So I guess this one was properly right. The previous one was like, I'm just like twisting it sound to be right. This one was like, <laughs> it's actually true. But the next one was completely wrong. And yes. the next one, hey, go ahead. <laughs> yes. You want to tell me I was wrong? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're wrong, but again, I think it's one of these. I think it's one of these ones which it's kind of an increasingly important thing. So last year we said that conciseness is going to become more of an issue. There's a big trend, especially around the in the online marketing space, around producing these like three, four, five thousand word articles. While many times there are like really, really good content in there and it's great to produce them, there's a lot of value. One of the trends where this sort of ties back into the first thing about, you know, lots more and more people accessing on mobile. The the fear we had was that, you know, how many people are going to sit on a bus and read a 9,000 word text article on their phone? Probably not that many. Therefore, it's going to be advantageous to be more concise with your content, especially when you're talking about rich snippets and position zero and all that and, and, and Google becoming more of a thing. And it makes sense. And I still think that long term, this is like a, a direction that content's going to have to go. But we've seen no evidence of this happening thus far. And long content still does exceptionally well. You know, we've actually seen the opposite. So in the podcast last year, I remember I said, oh, we're going to try to do shorter pieces of content, more regularly on the Authority Hacker blog, right? That's what we did in the first half of the year. And the truth is, performance decreased quite a bit. Even though we were publishing more frequently, etc. There was still like 3,000 words is like a short post for pairing, you know? <laughs> so it's like, just to give you an idea, like these days we're more into the 15,000 words posts on Authority Hacker, which is basically a book. But yeah, so we started the year doing more posts, but like short, shorter ones. And engagement decreased, shares decreased, link acquired decreased, like basically all the metrics decreased to the point where literally on the second half of the year, we're like, well, F that, let's just do massive guides on popular topics. And that's what we've been doing for the past few months. So there's been like the Amazon one, there's been like the affiliate programs, like, you know, the big list that we've done, we've done the monetization list. And I have a few more that I need to finish editing that we'll probably publish next year, I would say now. We have something coming out in December, but it's actually a, a gift for subscribers only, actually. So that's going to come out. But yeah, it's it's in terms of links, since we do these big guides and like do outreach, et cetera, and just, do, just, just focus on that, our link acquisition has never been better. Like, I mean, we doubled the linking root domains to Atari Hacker this year, just mostly because of, of these few posts that we did on the second half of the year. So as much as, as a user, I would rather find short, precise content as a marketer, I mean, I haven't done these tests on, on health ambition, but I'm pretty sure it would work similarly. As a marketer, I just find the, that long content just pushes the metrics that we care about better, you know? Yeah. That could also be down to the type of content we're producing on Authority Hacker. It's educational. You yeah, know, it's not really giving a direct answer to a simple, simple answer to a simple question. You know, well, they're usually like a big question, like what is the best way to monetize your blog or something. Like, you know what I mean? And it's just like we go really deep into it. Yeah, but 
Yeah, it's like there's what I like. I, I if I Google stuff on my phone, I don't want I don't want to find an authority hacker article <laughs> because I, I just want it's too long, you know. But at the same time, when I look at the metrics, it's like, well, this is what people seem mm-hmm. to want. So I guess I'm not the audience, and uh, <laughs> and that is something that we've had to change our mind on this year, essentially. Yeah. So I guess we were wrong on this one. Yeah. Let's talk about the next one. I think the next one was at least Semurite, which we call it the BSO meta algorithm update, which is a, which is a term which, for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the technical term. And essentially, we were like, well, it was after the 2016 election. There's been all this debacle about fake news and, you know, for both sides, people lying on social media, influencing people's votes, etc. Like Mark Zuckerberg was like, you know, really called out about this. And, you know, we expected Google would also react on that topic because it's something that's important to them, especially as they're developing their Google Assistant and voice search and all that stuff. And they're giving answers directly to people. They're kind of like taking more responsibility for the answers. So we imagined like they need to put some kind of fact checking into the answers they give. And yeah, there's been a lot of effort into, I mean, if you look at like the, the industry as a whole, there's been a lot of effort towards tackling fake news and all that stuff. However, like as a site owner, I'm not sure you feel it a lot yet, but you know, these algorithms have first been developed for the news. So it works in Google news. Actually, there is some kind of like fake news filtering in Google news, for example, right now. And Facebook has a whole team of people banning sites relating out to like non-factual news. So it's happening only in the news space right now. But once again, as I mentioned with voice search and Google needing more trust to like to put more trust in their answers, there's no doubt that this kind of stuff is going to be built into an algorithm eventually and affect, you know, any kind of facts that you give to you give on your website essentially. I think that's gonna happen. The fake news stuff happened did it impact your site? Not really yet, but it's definitely the beginning of algorithm for me. So, I think specifically for this? us, I mean, you know, our content, it's not really in that realm. We don't have any like political websites or, you know, even no. anything remotely linked to that. You know, online marketing is quite a vanilla kind of topic. So I don't think there's very much that we'd be saying on Authority Hacker, which could be. You know, it's even news, let alone fake news. You know what I mean? So, do you think recommending Bluehost will get you penalized? I do in future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so not necessarily when you just recommending them, but I think what you said about like the necessary trust curve that we need to go through as users in order to instead of just trusting, in order to actually trust the results which were given. Yeah. Let's say we're doing a voice search and say, "Hey, buy me the best laptop." And Amazon will automatically ship it to you without you even reviewing which what the best ones are and making that decision. When Amazon's making that decision, you better believe it has to be right. Otherwise, people are not going to be happy. It's going to cost them a lot of money. And so there's a kind of like trust curve, as I as I, as I call it, that you have. To yeah, it's the same for health advice as well. Like I think I think buying stuff it's pretty rare. Like I don't I don't know people that buy stuff by saying to the assistant, "Buy me stuff." You know, mm-hmm. I mean. I'm sure there's some crazy Californian homes where everything's built that way, but it's definitely not mainstream at this point. However, asking for even the knowledge graph on its own, right? When you type, like, you know, I, t- I always take the example of like, I have food with, for when I'm cooking in my hands and like my dog's looking at me, can I have some? And I just like, I talk to my phone and it's just like, say, okay, Google, can, my, oh, it's triggering. <laughs> can my dog eat strawberries? And then it's just, it's just answering. But like, there's a big difference between clicking on a third-party site and when you click on a third-party site, it's that site's responsibility for being right or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Google is just a third party that sends you to that site. Whereas when the assistant answers to you, it's kind of Google giving you the answer and their responsibility is much higher because yeah. they've selected that answer. And therefore, they will introduce that kind of stuff for like medical stuff, pet stuff, like all, all that stuff that is that consumer level. Yeah. If you're um, making any decisions, which is going to affect you directly affect like your life or death health, your wallet or your dog, then you better be sure that people are going to care. That those things are accurate. Like 
a hundred like as close to hundred yeah. percent possible. So it feels like it was a great a great marketing move to use the campaign to say, oh, we're gonna be tackling fake news, but really the fact checking is here to make the assistance, the voice assistance just take over a lot of informational queries. Mm-hmm. I think that I think this was gonna happen. I'm pretty sure it already happens in uh, in house. And I guess the way the way that's working is they they usually when they develop these kind of new technologies, they work with partners, right? So most likely, the two they're going to be working on is uh, WebMD and Mayo Clinic. They're usually in-house. They're usually the people that work with Apple and everyone to build databases and so on. And then essentially what they do is they'll compare your facts against their facts when you talk about the same topic. And they'll give you a little tick of approval or a fake news badge on your, on your site. And then based on that, everything else you publish will be affected by that. And I'm not sure it will affect the rankings yet, but eventually that's probably going to be a factor, essentially. Yeah, it'll start off with, you know, more serious, like life or death kind of medical health stuff. And then like the, I think it'll be a little bit longer before we start seeing it in like more, let's say, benign yeah. stuff in, like in uh, kayaking and so vitamins and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, I guess the fake news hunting has been happening. Did it affect authority site owners yet? No, I don't think so. It's it's just too early. Might not even be next year, to be honest. It might be like another year, another more year until they make it a proper algorithm because it's not possible to check everything manually. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, I guess that was Samurai Samuro, this one. The next one, which I think is basically mostly wrong, is... We said on-page factors are going to be less relevant. But the argument wasn't like, oh, because you can game it or something like that. The argument was more, well, Google is introducing all these AI-based new ranking factors. And as a result, it means that they need to make room. They need to, 100% of the algorithm is filled with like backlinks and page title, et cetera, et cetera. And they need to to make room for these new factors. And therefore, some other factors will be less relevant. And so that is why on-page will probably count less, like page title and these very, very, very basic ones. Has it happened? Well, there hasn't been like massive reports of like Google rolling out a big update or something. However, a lot of people don't even bother putting their keywords in the titles and so on and still happen to, to rank for a lot of keywords. I think it ties back to the topics as well instead of keywords. Mm-hmm. That if you have a related topic on in your title, you qualify to be able to rank for all related keywords because Google understands that now. But are the less are the fact on page factors less important? That's not really what people have been saying so far. So I don't know what you think. It's always hard to judge because you know the people who are optimizing their LSI keywords and their alt tags and all this kind of stuff. Obviously, people trying very hard to rank. So it's not just that that they're going to be doing. Yeah. They're going to be putting effort into like, you know, having great content and you know, generally doing good marketing. So it's one of those things like it could have actually been true. It's definitely not proven. It could have been true. It could just be that, you know, there's a, a lot of correlation between people who are doing that and people who deserve to rank naturally through some new unheard of AI system or whatever. I mean, I don't know. There's actually a lot of uh, Atari Hacker Pro members that are like de-optimizing their articles right now and reporting rank increase, which is an interesting one. They're removing keyword density. They're removing a lot of these vanilla SEO stuff and essentially report increase in rankings. They're basically the way it works is like they take the pages that they optimize really hard but don't end up ranking and then de-optimize them. And some people see increase in rankings however it's hard to tell if it's because they de-optimized or just because they updated it i don't know i haven't done it personally but i just wanted to say some people do that do you want to take the next one yeah so i mean we also said that last year that links would become slightly less relevant and you know there's a lot of sort of like talk last year on pbns and uh, even certain like white hat link building techniques you know people scaling those and doing lots of outreach and stuff so we were kind of that was going on and at the same time you know all these new potential ai based ranking factors were coming in some of which are yeah. known others which are unknown and so we kind of felt like you know something has to give here the 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 pie as it were of potential factors is growing therefore links being the largest at least what we currently believe is the largest sort of influencing factor in the algorithm is most likely to be the one that gets cut 
or even if it's not cut, just the pie grows bigger. Therefore, the percentage of it that it constitutes is lower. Nobody seems to have talk, been talking about links being any less important than they were. It's still kind of the cornerstone of most SEO practices. I think Google themselves said that, I think it was this year, I could be wrong. I think they said that they would like it to be less relevant, but it still is or something like that. Uh, it still is very relevant. Um, yeah, I mean, on the other hand, you have SEM Russia, so that released the ranking factors case study. I take their information with a bit of a pinch of salt because the way they've built their cure difficulty index before, are they redoing it right now? It's like, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of their data, but they've only put like linking root domains, I think number four behind like direct visits and time on page, et cetera, as main ranking factors. So as much as it doesn't seem to have changed as much, some reports of some kind start to not put links as first ranking factor anymore. Moreover, another thing that happened is, well, we built probably the most links we've ever built this year. And the uplift we got from that is good. Like, you know, like many size double traffic and more in organic, but probably not as big as it would have been three years ago, maybe. Like it could have gotten that kind of uplift with maybe two thirds of those links or something. I think so, it's, I suspect that that's, that's not, due to an algorithm change it's rather due to the difference between having 10 and 100 links versus the difference between having one is huge right yeah, the difference between having 1000 and 2000 is less because you know the vast majority of your competitors are in the like very low number of link range and so once you get you know into the thousands and you know you're trying to like essentially get above the next person it's a bigger jump it's kind of like in an mmo you know level one to two to five is, yeah, is like yeah. five minutes but level 50 to 60 takes days so it's definitely true i mean i see it with the new sites we started this year as well you know like the first 50 links they change everything in yeah. rankings it's 10 times more traffic whereas now 50 links on health ambition is like you, you will not even see it yeah <laughs> so yeah okay fair enough uh, that's definitely another one Another one as well, which is a term we coined when we talked privately before, was that, well, compared to two or three years ago, a lot more links exist on the internet. Therefore, the link you build is a smaller fraction of the overall link graph of the internet. So there's some kind of like link inflation where a new link is not as valuable now as it was a couple of years ago. And they all deflate, actually, I guess. So I guess if you don't actually grow your links, you just lose ground, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. So I guess I'm going to say that one That one was kind of a fail, even though there's the SEM rush research. There's not been a lot more people talking about this, like not being as important. Mm -hmm. hey, let's talk about another one where we were wrong. Um, <laughs> we were saying in relation to PBNs, private blog networks, which is, you know, owning sites to just use them to link back to your sites to increase your rankings, would have there would be some kind of update that would hard reset the links after domains drop in the public domain or at least make it happen more frequently because that's the main way private blog networks are built and that has not happened pbns work just as well right now we don't recommend them but we also accept that they are a viable strategy to build links to your site and if google hasn't done anything yet and they haven't done anything this year i actually don't believe they'll do much next year either i think they're pretty happy where with how much gray hat went back how tiny of a community it is now compared to it being the main way of doing seo a couple of years ago and maybe they don't see it as a worthwhile effort to push the fight further other than a couple of the indexing here and there to keep it in check do you have any comment on this? Yeah, I think this also ties back maybe to what we said before in that it's relatively, I mean, I've never done this, but I imagine it's relatively easy to get, you know, 100 or so PBN links. To go from 10,000 to 20,000 is probably a lot more of a challenge. I, uh, so, even 100 PBN links is a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Like PBN links are like hundreds of dollars usually. Sure. What I'm trying to say, though, is it tends to affect the lower ends of the market. That's not to say there's not yeah, people yeah. probably raking it in with some money sites here and there, but 
the big media companies aren't really being threatened at the moment by you know PBN sites in the same way or nearly the same way they were you know several years ago when you know the vast majority of sites ranking for any kind of money keyword were influenced strongly by gray hat SEO. Yeah, I mean it's also like this old school version of SEO where people target a single keyword, not a topic. Yeah. Like, you know, push like one page on the whole site and like that page makes 90% of your money. It goes up super fast. It makes it can make really good money, but then it crashes and it's over. Yeah. Um, that, that being said, there usually when there's like the, you know, this Google Fred or, you know, similar kind of updates on the, the PBN Facebook groups, forums, there's a bit more of an uproar every time one of those hits. Like I, I haven't noticed many people in the sort of whiter hat uh, spectrum of things being quite as vocal during during such updates. So maybe they are targeting them. It's just it's less of a cliff edge than the old sort of panda penguin updates and more of just a gradual thing. I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, it's probably, it's, it's, but like I don't think there's going to be any massive change to PBNs next year or anything. Like actually, I think the chances of them acting next year is less than their chances acting this year. So I guess I guess this this is a tactic that's stabilizing for people who use it. Mm-hmm. Once again, we don't recommend it, but we have to be like a lot of people tell me that I'm like completely biased against Grey Hat, etc. I just I'm not. Like I just don't, I don't mind do whatever makes you happy. But from our perspective, just it's just it's not really that economically viable. Exactly. It's just like it's not worth the money. It's not worth the effort. It's a lot of work to put a PBN together for like a single link, etc. I don't know. We do pretty well with White Hat and we're happy with it. If you're happy with Grey Hat, please keep doing it. It's less competition for outreach. I like it. That's basically it on the PBN. I guess it didn't happen. That was completely wrong. Now let's talk about one that I think was quite right. It's that the, after the wire cutter sale, which was in October 2016, I think, it was sold for $30 million to the New York Times. Thirty, as you might have dollars, yeah, as as you might have heard me say a few times before, we thought that it opened the eyes to a lot of people how much money reviews could make, and you know, big media companies probably treated review sites like small review sites, like you know, hobbies type stuff, and didn't really care that much. They were more after the ad money and so on. And we we're like, well, you know, when a site sells for this much money, when big media tends to lose money, it's gonna draw a lot of attention, and we believe that search results for review type keywords will become a lot more competitive. And then it did become more competitive. I I wouldn't say like a lot more competitive, but it became more competitive for sure. For example, I'm looking at uh, Tung from uh, Cloud Living. His site, like Thank Your Skin, he lost a lot of rankings. He might have had some issues on his site, but there's also to some degree a lot of bigger players that entered his market and made it a lot harder for his site since that was much lower authority to maintain his positions and not lose it to bigger sites. And well, yeah, he did lose some traffic. Now, does that mean that it's absolutely impossible to make money with review keywords? No. If I look at the authority site system case study site, it's rocking so many number one positions right now. It's pretty funny. It's like, especially for the amount of link building we've done. So it's definitely possible, but it, it does take probably a more mastery of a keyword research or topic research in that case and and being strategical in, in which fights you pick, essentially. So I think that's basically what we predicted last year. And so let's just go back to check what we said. So first, mobile-only update. Man, let's give us half a point. No, even. Let's get zero points. Keyword research will be replaced by keyword research, by topic research. This one will give us half a point. Conciseness update, zero BSO meter, half a point, I would say. So one point. On-page factors are less relevant, zero. Links are less relevant, zero. Hard result on drop domain, zero. And reviews becoming more competitive, I'll definitely give us a one, right? So (laughs) So the the takeaway is don't believe anything we say, basically. (laughs) Yeah, so that's like a two out of five or something, which is, you know, below average. I guess you could just pick any other podcast talking about SEO on iTunes. <laughs> on average, you have more chances to get better advice, you know? So, 
if you still want to listen, <laughs> we're going to do 2018 now. So the 2018 one, do you want to start or should I start? Yeah, so I want to expand a little bit on what we said before um, about, and this sort of links back to the fake news thing we mentioned before. Okay. Uh, I really do think that this year, sorry, next year, 2018, content truthfulness will really start to matter a lot more. Even before the fake news thing was a, was a thing, there was talk, I think in 2015, 2016, about sort of this being like a truth being a ranking factor for certain medical and like health related terms. I think it was sort of stems from the fact that, you know, if you're, if someone's sick, like really sick and they're Googling it and they're getting an incorrect result and they follow some bad advice and they die, that's you know clearly a terrible thing. So the urgency for Google to address those kind of issues is much, much more serious than, even though it is quite a big deal, uh, than, than uh, like some election or whatever. I'm not trying to say that's not a, a serious thing either, but in terms of timeframes, it makes sense to start with the life or death situations. So I think they've done, they did that. They're working on this sort of news, fake news thing. And I think more and more as this technology develops and is, as they get better at building algorithms which can understand accuracy and truthfulness, they will continue this along in other areas. So from an authority site owner perspective, you need to ask yourself, are your reviews accurate? In certain spaces like hosting, we mentioned mattresses, there's this uh, like huge Really interesting story. Sleepopolis and Casper. Yeah, yeah. Sleepopolis and Casper. We'll link to that in the show notes for what happened there, but it's pretty crazy. But, you know, it just goes to show, like, there's there's really, like, a lot of money at play in some of these spaces. And people will, can and will say potentially inaccurate things, untrue things, in order to recommend less good products and make more money as, a, as an affiliate. So, yeah, I really think this is going to become more and more of a big deal. So... Basically, if you are recommending bad products because they pay higher commission, then I think that that's going to start to become more of an issue in 2018. So are you saying people will get penalized in 2018 for recommending bad products? I'm not going to use the word penalized because I don't think it's going to be like a massive cliff edge. I think it's going to be a very gradual introduction in certain areas which are more like directly affecting people's health or wallets seriously than you know if you're recommending multivitamin A versus multivitamin B which you know 9 out of 10 people recommend versus 8.5 out of people 8.5 out of 10 people recommend you know like if there's subtle like very slight differences i think it'll be longer before we can have a good algorithm which can assess you know accuracy and truthfulness but if it's something's clearly bullshit then yeah i think that'll uh start to hurt isn't that gonna spark some kind of like outrage from alternative facts fans you know yeah well i mean i we already in the social media world we already live in like let's call it truth neighborhoods if you believe that vaccines cause autism or are you know some mind control experiment by the government or something like that which is categorically, like, no matter what your political view, that's something which is just untrue. Yeah, and if you live on on Facebook, you know, and you like these kind of pages, most of the the news you'll see from that area is saying kind of the opposite. So what I'm saying, though, is like from an objective person who wants to know this information, who's Googling it, you're going to be, the the answers are going to be cross-referenced more and more with, sort of like area truth references. So there'll be some kind of like truth rank if Mayo Clinic and WebMD are linking to your page about vaccines or something, then chances are it's going to be more trustworthy than, I honestly don't know any of the sites off the top of my head, but you know, these Martha Stewart and, and, and all those those kind of people who believe the opposite. Naturalnews.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's make more friends, you know. <laughs> Anyway, okay, cool. So what's going to happen? Like, let's just wrap it up. Are people going to lose rankings for this or not? Yeah, I think they are. I think they already have okay. been in that's in when, when it comes to like real life or death health. I think they currently are. They have been this year when it comes to sort of like fake news. I think next year 
they are going to more and more with very inaccurate or misleading reviews. Okay, cool. My next one is definitely less polarizing. And it's that the Google Assistant is going to arrive on Chrome probably in the first half of the year, maybe the first quarter. Like That's the kind of stuff we might see in CES or something like this. And essentially, if you don't know what it is, the Google Assistant is like Siri for Android, but for Google in general. They've been, you know, a year ago, it was only on Google Pixel phones. Then they put it on all all Android phones. Now it's actually on the Google app, so you can actually even have it on an iPad or an iPhone or something like this. And, well, to get on desktop and compete with Siri, which is on OS, uh, Mac OS, and Cortana, which is on Windows, they will probably use the massive market share they have in the browser market to build that in. Now, what does that mean? Like, you, you're like, I don't talk to my computer. That's, that's stupid. I have a keyboard. I agree. I don't do that either. But the Google Assistant is actually also has a chat options, so you can chat to it. And what it allows you to do is like consecutive searches. So like when I talked to my phone earlier, when you heard it, that was the Google Assistant. And like ask, can my dog eat strawberry? And then I can say, I can say also, can it also eat chocolate? And then it would just understand the context and answer, et cetera. So what I think could happen is either the Google Assistant is going to be a separate button on the sidebar, or it's going to be rolled in the address bar. And so when you type, let's say, a question, instead of sending you directly to search results, you might actually get a Google Assistant answer in a chat form, maybe with voice coming out of your computer as well, saying, yeah, your dog can eat strawberries, it's good vitamin Cs, etc. Click here to read the source of this article, and that's usually going to be the number one query, you know, the position zero from the knowledge graph of that related question that's going to be popping up. And then probably you'll have a button below that says, view more search results or something, and then you access to you access the search result, which would change the way people search a lot on Chrome for certain types of query probably. And that would mean for authority site owners that chasing that position zero and optimizing for knowledge graph would become a much bigger deal because you would get a lot more traffic if you have that position and a lot less traffic if you don't. So Do you think this I, will expand the total number of searches being done or it will completely just cannibalize existing searches? I mean, for desktop, probably just cannibalize. Mm-hmm. For like the voice, the voice searches are a different thing, right? You search with your voice differently than you search with a keyboard. But let's say that they roll it out in the address bar, which which would be a bold move and, and I'm not sure they would do it because it would mean a lot of people would consider switching to Firefox, which is now just as fast as Chrome and very clean actually consider trying it if you want to switch browsers. So it, it is a bit of a risk. I'm not, I'm not sure. It probably would be a separate button, in which case the cannibalization would be like almost nothing because most people will keep using Chrome the way they're using it now. But if they decide to give it a shot and put it in the address bar, that's going to change mostly informational queries a lot. And knowledge graph would become way more important. So it really depends how they will implement it. I'm pretty sure it will be in Chrome this year. The question is, where is it? Is it a separate function or is it rolled in the core searching functionality, which they might not do next year. They might Realistically, it will probably be a separate button next year with a very little impact, a little bit of impact, but not that much, but still serving more knowledge graph. And But when it gets really good, I can imagine it taking over the, the address bar and the search bar. So that's mine. Your turn. All right. So um, I've noticed this year, like, okay, so as we're recording this, it's 2nd of December, 2017. Earlier this week, Bitcoin hit, uh, I think it was like $11,500 per coin. It's almost there, actually. Like, we're at almost 11000 again. Yeah. So, I mean, as soon as it crossed 10000 there was obviously a huge surge of interest in the media again. You know, even before that, so the last sort of like four to six months, Quite a few people I know, quite a few of my friends, they have given up their current profession, be that, you know, authority site owner or, you know, some more out there things, uh, professional poker players seems to be a common thing. These people are being giving up what they're doing and becoming getting involved in this sort of cryptocurrency Bitcoin space. It's super hot right now. And, you know, Rightly so, like a lot of people have made like an insane amount of money on it this year alone. And so I think there's a lot of kind of, let's call them bandwagoners 
who are moving away from online marketing, which has been hot for quite a while, but you're not making 10,000% ROI. It's much slower. It's much slower online marketing in general, unless you do, you will get paid out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think next year we're going to see more and more people who, you know, perhaps weren't in online marketing because they particularly loved it or they're particularly passionate about what they were, what their sites were about, but we're kind of just in it for the money and the lifestyle. We'll see more of those people move away, give up and move into the sort of blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin space. So I think that's a, it's probably a good thing for most people listening because there'll probably be less less kind of copycats, uh, less high-end copycats specifically. And I think there'll be more opportunity to sort of take and dominate smaller niches. Like at the lower end, there'll definitely be less competition. However, at the higher end, nothing really to do with the, the crypto space, but just a general maturing of the market. Last year, we saw a lot more um, like consolidation, a lot more sites being bought out by uh, big media companies. We started seeing sort of venture capital groups entering the market, building up portfolios, buying portfolios of sites, and you know, offering investment vehicles for non-experts, for non-site builders now as well. So it's very interesting from that end. I think there's definitely a kind of upping of the of the quality, upping of the the game the higher ends but yeah definitely think that there's there's going to be probably more opportunity next year for beginners and intermediates just because of the uh, the blockchain bitcoin stuff taking a lot of people's attention away yeah less new entrants yep. so like the lower end of the market will be there will be more space it'll be a bit less crowded most likely yeah i also think one thing as well is like websites used to be seen as like a high risk investment you know Mm-hmm. Now, you put Bitcoin next to it, and it's like, oh, that's pretty safe. And I think that it also means that the people that invest in websites, they won't do it with like 1% or 10% of their savings or whatever, but they probably do it with like larger amounts because it's considered safer compared to their cryptocurrencies investments and so mm-hmm. on. And there may be more capital entering the market because of that, which, which could push for like, you know, these funds, these consolidation and everything as well. So... Yeah, it's basically a maturing market, and and the new hot trend is uh, is cryptocurrencies. I don't mind. I like it. It means that we can focus on what we do, and uh, then you can use the profit to buy cryptos if you want. <laughs> okay, my next one is that there will be something new, a new product by Google, and that's going to be the Google News Feed. So it exists already. Google has a news feed on Android. It's on the Google Now launcher when you swipe left. You have a search bar on top, and then below that you have stories or like pieces of content that are related to the searches you've done recently. And it does an extremely good job at understanding what you're interested in. So like I was, you know, Googling a lot about that new Microsoft laptop, the Surface Book 2 recently, and now every time I swipe on my on my news on my uh, Google now, I you know I get a new review or a new benchmark or something like that just on that thing, and it's it does a good job at following a lot of the topics I care about. Like I get the Overwatch World Championship updates, etc. On it, all that stuff. But it's like properly better than Facebook at knowing what I like, and I think that this is going to be rolled out on desktop as well. So when you go on Google.com, if you're logged in you will not just see the Google logo, but you will also see a collection of stories that will be related to what you've recently Googled and what you cared about. And most importantly, I also also think that they will have advertising there eventually. Maybe not initially, but eventually. So you'll be able to target people based on their search history on this newsfeed. And I think it's going to be there because, well, Google needs a way to compete with Facebook advertising and people want more of this kind of format. And as Facebook ads are becoming more expensive, it becomes more of an opportunity for Google. And it also gives an opportunity for people to go to Google without having anything to search for, which, you know, expands their usage even more. So, yeah. And I think also that this newsfeed will be in the new Chrome tabs. So when you open a tab, you'll see your, you'll see a Google logo and you'll see your feed below. I think that's... So how long until there's a newsfeed tab blocker 
Ah, it will happen eventually. I mean, like, newsfeed is like the most addictive part of Facebook. People that want to be productive have to block it. Otherwise, it's like, I know most of my people that work online have to have some plugin to block it. Otherwise, they can't work properly. Mark Jenner, if you hear me. (laughs) And so, yeah, like, Google has all that information. It's already on mobile. There's no reason for it not to get on desktop. But what's interesting as well is it's a new traffic source, right? So, you can actually get people to your site if you're like consider a high authority, like if you're showing up a lot on these knowledge graph results, et cetera, and Google likes your site, they will literally show your content to people that have been Googling keywords in your industry, which is a massive discovery tool. I imagine when they release paid ads for that, like I'm ready to queue up and pay to, to grow my audience that way. I think as well, um, there's like a relevancy argument in there because as you said, the recommendations and the, the content in there, it's like, they do a really, really good job of recommending like stuff you're interested in. So, you know, if you're if you have a site which is maybe a bit more niche, a bit more specific, some of your content's a, a bit, bit specific. People who are, have that interest may get matched to you like very directly. That makes sense. So, I think this is definitely an opportunity for sort of like smaller niche players in there that maybe don't have the authority to rank normally, but just uh, you know have very yeah. relevant content. Yeah, and the price of us will probably level out with Facebook, you know. So it's like I think it's going to cost the same price, just like a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a massive, op- and also it's a massive opportunity to monetize Chrome for Google, you know, because Chrome Chrome makes no money right now. But if the new tabs have this feed. And like one in five results is sponsored. That's like massive revenue for them, you know? How many times are opened every day? So I think the technology is here is just a trans moving it and at the same time it's a new traffic source for people. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be cool. All right. So the next one, I mean people have been talking a lot about voice search for maybe a year or two now. The prediction I'm gonna make is that people will start to trust voice search to make decisions for them a lot more in 2018. So there's kind of like three levels. I mean, there's there's a lot more, but three basic categories of trust, I would say. And at the moment, most people will uh, sort of trust level one, which is a sort of somewhat inconsequential answer. So if I say, they're like, okay, Google, what is the weather tomorrow? And it tells me it's going to be sunny, but it's actually going to rain. For most people, you know, in their day-to-day lives, it's not really going to make a huge difference. You know, nobody's going to die if you're incorrect in that in, in most situations. And therefore, people tend to, tend, tend to trust that. I think the accuracy of the weather in these kind of searches or in something like maps has gotten better and better. And people kind of just assume that it's going to be correct uh, at the moment. So I think we're already there. When you start getting into queries such as, you know, can dogs eat strawberries or a more buying focused term like, hey, Amazon Alexa, please buy me a new mouse from my laptop. And you just assume that it'll pick the right one. I'm not quite sure if we're there yet that we like fully 100% trust the results of that because, you know, there are potentially more costly or in the case of your dog, more harmful consequences if it's incorrect. So we just want to sort of verify that it's, it's, it's definitely right. And I think this is the area where we'll see a bigger sort of growth in trust for voice search. And this kind of sort of ties back to what I mentioned before about truthfulness and accuracy and Google and, you know, indeed Amazon and Facebook and stuff as well, needing to, to know that information is, is is accurate on the, the upper end of the scale that i mentioned this sort of level three like life-altering decisions if you say google buy me a new car and you just trust it to know the right ones i, I think yeah. we're quite a few years away from that happening but there are already people who are making major life decisions based on algorithms angelina jolie had some breast cancer operation because some system told her that she had an 87% chance of developing some kind of cancer. I don't know the specifics, but you know, that's an example of someone trusting an algorithm based on for a major sort of life, life threatening in that case operation. But she didn't do a Google search. No, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's, wasn't that's a Google search. right. But I think we are less than <laughs> 10 years away for sure for people starting to make, you know, very, very big uh, life decisions, life or death type things, and certainly high financial value things based on, you know, simple, you know, 
uh, voice searches or, you know, without even going through the results, just trusting the system to buy, buy the right one. Well, I think the, the weather thing is very smart because it doesn't matter. Like they're smart. They focus on these ones so people trust the system that it grows, you know. So it's not just a, a technological growth. It's a, an evolution yeah. of the human if you mind. Think and back to the first trust, time you used Google Maps or, you know, Waze or some equivalent, you know, you're very suspect. You know, you would put in the route and you would really like you're checking it. You know, is this the right way? I thought this way was quicker. You're really paying a lot of attention to it. Now, like I don't even kind of look at the route. I just put in where I'm going and I follow it. I don't even question it. If it tells me to go, I just look at my. Tells me to go a strange way that I feel is longer. I'll tend to follow it because more often than not, it's correct. And the penalty or the consequence of it being incorrect usually is in me being late. You know, a couple minutes or something. So yeah, from that sense, there's a definite sort of trust curve that it will take many years to to get to the higher life decision sort of spectrum. But yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Okay, how do we measure if you were right or wrong? Next <laughs> um, I it's hard to say, but I think I'm I've got to buy myself an Amazon Alexa next year just to sort of test this. <laughs> yeah, I can tell because like you keep um, mentioning. I, I don't I don't currently have have anything like this, but. Like I don't need to be Google to figure that out. Yeah. Like, I could tell that. I mean, I, uh. I, I I think the the kind of review type keywords. You know, if you're number one, you're gonna potentially be, you know, rewarded with more traffic. If you're number two, it may there may be more of a cliff edge for you in in this space. I don't know if it's even possible to measure this because you know the companies which have the data, Amazon, Google, they they're not. This is public data, so it's quite hard. For the average person to measure i think it's more a general litmus test like are you going to trust amazon to buy you a new mouse in december 2018 without questioning without you know understanding which one it is you're just going to be able to say hey buy me a new mouse and trust that it's going to get you the right one probably well, not let's see let's see <laughs> probably not <laughs> all right i think the next one i have is also a little bit ai based but it's going to influence the the industry a lot and i I think we'll get the first AI written blog post slash piece of content that will be indistinguishable from like something written by a writer. And I believe that when that happens, like some kind of big media company like BuzzFeed or something is just going to buy it out right away and try to build something around it. It's not going to be very efficient. Probably still not going to need human editors, et cetera. It's not like it's not like it's it's over, but I think we'll see the first step of that next year, where we're gonna see like brand new content not spinning or anything like that. Like brand new content, you won't be able to tell it's written by a computer. Come out. So that's my yeah. Prediction. So I mean, there's uh, I think it was two years ago now. There was a poetry book that came out which had several hundred poems written by an algorithm and several hundred written by actual poets. But it was anonymized, and there's a lot of arguments about which was which, and no one could really tell. As I understand, it was these like haikus or what, like very short poems, which was a little bit more, uh, I guess, easy for some kind of AI to write. If you're talking about front page editorial on a newspaper, I don't think that's going to happen next year. I think where no. we will see this is, you know, if you have but- a 10,000 product e-commerce store something like getting the product descriptions may be able to be something which is done in in this manner. I also, I'm not convinced that it's going to be, you know, acquired by one or two big media companies and then just they're going to dominate everything. I think that the technology is most likely going to be made available instead of going to some service to write all your product descriptions, you'll be able to sign up for, you know, X dollars per month and get their AI to do it for you, something like that. So I, I do think that it will be commercially available when, when this starts to come out, just because the amount of companies which pay for it versus the potential of what people can make from it, especially in the early days when it's probably not as robust as we'll see in 10 or 20 years, it's, it's, it's going to be more big difference. Yeah. I think it's going to go past the product descriptions though. So I think like a list post, for example, like a list curation post mm-hmm. can yep. definitely be done by AI now. Like, you know, it goes on Facebook, it finds like 10 images that got a lot of likes and then finds that, like, analyzes it and like makes a quick description based on like the comments they got or whatever. 
and then makes a lease pose from it, I think we might see that actually. Yeah. And that could get a lot of shares. So yeah, okay, well, we'll see what happens, but I think there will be some news around the first AI written blog post. It's, yeah, I think it's time next year. Do you want to talk about the Google Lens stuff first? Okay, sure. So it's something that's already out there in a very minimal way. Google Lens is basically searching with your camera. It exists in two places right now. It exists, one, in the Google Pixel 2 phones, and two, it exists in Google Photo right now. So now you can, like, let's say I have a picture of the Basilica in Budapest. I press the, the, the Google Lens thing. It's going to find out what it is and give me all information about the Basilica in Budapest. And so that means I don't need to type a search anymore. I just need to take a photo of something to get information. That also works with local businesses, et cetera. You know, it uses your GPS data, it uses all that stuff. Their goal is to make it work for way more things. So like, you want to take a photo of someone, it shows you the items on Amazon, like, and then you can go and buy it. Or you take a photo of a dish and you get the calorie count and the recipe and that kind of stuff. And that is something that, once again, will not revolutionize the way we do things, but will start emerging. And like, you know, 0.1% of the population will start using it next year. And it's something that could be big in like three or four years. So are they going to use the knowledge graph for that? Probably, once again. And, you know, I have a feeling that a lot of the things we're talking about, this AI stuff, it's like it's all about that knowledge graph. And getting in there is going to become such a higher stake than it has been so far that I do have a feeling that people will talk a lot about getting into the knowledge graph next year as well, actually, because like all these technologies are relying on it. And Google Lens probably not going to change a lot for you next year, but probably it's going to be rolled out to all Android phones, you know, and with Android 9, I guess. And and it's it's going to be a trend and they're going to be using Google Knowledge Graph again and it's going to be a traffic source one day. So, yeah, I think I think we'll we'll see that being used a little bit more. All right. So another one which which we're predicting is that content being up to date will be more and more important. I'm not a hundred percent sure like the the true cause of this. I suspect there's something to do with the fact that you know there's so many sites out there with so much covering so much content in detail that the amount of new information to talk about is kind of diminishing. Therefore, and then at the same time, you know, a three, four-year-old blog post kind of starts to get out of date quite quickly. So from what something which we noticed, I think on Authority Hacker especially, was that the content which we updated actually gave us a bigger uplift than, you know, just writing brand new blog posts. Now, whether that's because, yeah. you know, it was initially targeting much better, like more lucrative keywords or something, and then it's just, you know, refreshing in that space, I don't know. But certainly, we are going to be putting a lot more of our editorial resources into updating content next year versus, I mean, we're still going to produce. Yeah, I think around half of the half of the time we spend reading content. It's like, I kind of push for new content because I, I know it's more interesting for the subscribers. Like, if you're listening to our podcast, probably you read, you know, semi-regularly the blog post that we release. And if we just re-release an older one, it's you're like, ah, yeah, okay. But like if we have something new, it's more interesting. So, you know, we care about that. But at the same time, if I look at the pure business metrics, re-editing old blog posts and pushing them up when they're already ranking a little bit is like probably like twice more profitable slash worth it in terms of traffic growth, which is just crazy. And I think for our ambition as well, it's a process we need to build actually, like re-editing old content because it's very worthwhile when done properly. And I think a lot more people will talk about it. It's going to become, you know, part of the everyone's cycle, essentially. Most likely once we figure out a really tight process for us, we'll probably do a blueprint action on Atari I can provide. I can see that being a, a very useful one. Okay, let's take the last one. And the last one is gonna talk about something that has it's probably going to be voted around the time when we release that podcast, so it's very timely. And we're going to talk about net neutrality and how it's probably going to change in the US. I mean, we have no idea how things are going to change, but what we believe is, I think, not a lot is going to change for authority website owners. 
there can be good sides, there can be bad sides. But one thing I believe is that if there's any kind of bad side to net neutrality, i.e., you know, small players will be slower for people, then I think companies like Google will probably just pay for them and offer like a free CDN or a very, very cheap CDN that uses their own lane, that their own fast lane to deliver your website to them. Mostly because Google becomes irrelevant as soon as you can only access five or six sites. And so that's a very dangerous place for them to be in terms of their business model. And so they will want the internet to stay the yeah. way it is because they're winning it. And and they they will just pay if they have to because they make so much money. I anyway. think there's a lot so, of there's a lot of misinformation about here. Like I'm really quite in favor of net neutrality. Let me just get that out there straight away. However, a lot of people who are also in favor of net neutrality have been putting out information which is just not true. There's a lot of scaremongering over the fact that you're going to have to you know pay extra money to access uh, your favorite sites. You know this kind of thing. I just don't think that's going to be happening. At least we don't have any concrete information to say that's how it's going to happen. There was this like Indonesian like cell phone company which they were charging people who didn't have data. You know, you could buy an hour of YouTube for a dollar or something like that. And this kind of thing is quite common in, in Asia to be able to do that. But that's not really. But that's like people who don't really have much money to have a data plan anyway. It's offering them like cheap way to access certain services which they, they, they kind of want. And they were sort of projecting that as like how it's going to work in the US. And I, I think that's quite inaccurate, uh, at least based on the information which we have at the moment. I think the, the biggest people this is going to potentially affect are the big data hogs like Netflix, which accounts for some ridiculous percentage, 38% or something of peak time internet traffic in the US, which is a huge, huge number. So they may get stung a little bit more by, by, by this sort of thing. It's quite clear that ISPs are not going to shut down data access to a large number of sites to, to unusable levels. Otherwise, it's just like, why would people use that? that isp okay maybe you're in an area some maybe you're, maybe you're in an area where that's not yeah. possible but you know there are already ways to sort of mask your traffic if you have like traffic shaping involved like you use a vpn and there's other other sort of technical means around it and the the push towards those kind of uh things would probably just increase if this were to become an issue i think Something else that's worth considering, again, from the, the I'm trying to sort of play devil's advocate here a bit, is many countries currently have data caps. Australia is a big one. You know, if you have 100 gigabytes of data allowance on your home connection a month, that's quite, I mean, for me, that's quite restrictive. And, you know, a lot of people are certainly not in favor of such things. Now, in the European Union this year, 2017, they introduced free data roaming for cell phones. So, and I finally got for the first time an unlimited 4G connection, which wasn't available until for some reason after that law was introduced, the telephone companies in Hungary started offering offering it. And it's glorious. It's absolutely amazing. Now, one thing since data roaming, since free data roaming has been introduced, whenever I go to another European country, I take a flight there, I get to the airport, I can call an Uber because my data works. I can, you know, use Facebook, check my email Use all sorts of services immediately. It's so good. Now, imagine without net neutrality, Uber could pay Verizon or you know whatever carrier in the US for it to provide unlimited data or just through the Uber app abroad. So you could then, American people could use Uber when they go to Mexico or South America or something like that, say. I don't know if this is in the plan or, you know, if this is even going to materialize. But all I'm trying to say is, you know, open your mind to the, there are some consumer, potential consumer benefits to this. That being said, there's obviously a big risk of, you know, the evil dark corporations from screwing everyone over in, in some way. But for anyone who's listening to this podcast, who's worried that, you know, only a handful of sites will be able to be accessed in the fast lane and, and, and that, just remember that if you have a website and if you're making money from it, chances are you are probably in the upper echelons of, you know, 
the total number of websites out there. Like most websites are not making any money. They're personal websites. Those are the sites that are going to be in the slow lane. And you probably already pay for a fast lane. You just don't realize it. And that that's in your hosting company. If you have a really poor, cheap hosting company, your website's much slower. The website speed is a ranking factor in Google. So therefore, the people who pay more money and have faster hosting rank better in Google already. And that's been the case for many, many, many years. So if there is anything that comes out with you know data flow or data speed regarding the net neutrality thing, chances are there will be hosting companies or something equivalent, some bandwidth type company that will enable you to pay some kind of money and be in that fast lane and be ahead of most other people who aren't. Now, whether that's going to create a sort of a highway that people like us can access and like a super highway that only, you know, the big, big media companies can access, I don't know. But just bear in mind that, you know, you could potentially actually benefit from this if you're able to step up against, you know, a lot of your competition that's that's potentially not making much much money or willing to pay for such services. So, so yeah. Okay, so what's um, the prediction? I, I don't think it's going to be a complete disaster. I don't think, you know, the world's going to end and, you know, there's going to need to be a new internet or anything like that. There'll yeah. be a blockchain internet. Well, I mean, let's see. Thing, you know? But I, my prediction is it's not really going to make too much of an impact. As I understand it, they're actually just rolling back the law to what it was before the Obama administration created the net neutrality laws, as it were. So... I don't think they've necessarily gone far in like the other direction. It's just kind of somewhat reset it to the kind of undefined spectrum it was before. And as I understand, it wasn't really too bad before. It's definitely something we'll have to reassess next year, but I don't think there will be any significant impact in 2018 for authority site owners. All right, cool. So that wraps up this very short podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want all the show notes, all the resources we mentioned, etc., you are going to be able to find them on authorityhacker.com slash SEO2018 altogether. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, subscribe on iTunes, maybe drop us a review, and we'll see you next week for another podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.